If you would, remain standing, and our first scripture reading uh, will come from 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, this comes just after 1 and 2 Peter, towards the end of the New Testament, and then there's 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, and we'll just read verses 10 through 15, and then we'll go to our text, which comes from Genesis chapter 4. 1 John 3, beginning at verse 10, this is the word of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then if you would, turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, and our text today will come from verses 9 and 10, but we'll read from verse 1 through verse 11. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. 
O Lord our God, if we are to speak the most glorious truth of your word, if we are to hear the gospel as it was never heard before, and the Spirit of God is not with us, we have nothing, we'll receive nothing, and so we plead with you this morning that you would give to us the Spirit of God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 4, verse 8. We read a moment ago. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. We are living in a time of almost perpetual violence. I'm having a hard time keeping up with all the conflicts that nations have with other nations. Whether it's North Korea threatening South Korea, China threatening Taiwan, the ongoing conflict and civil war in Ethiopia, Yemen against the United States, the United Kingdom, and Israel, Iran against the same group, Hamas and Lebanon against Israel, Russia against Ukraine. Nations all around are preparing for war, and those that aren't preparing are already in war. Violence all around us. Our text today brings us to a time of great violence. When Cain killed his brother, it doesn't bring us to a consideration of national violence or war per se, but it brings the violence to us in a very personal way. Violence of a brother against his own brother. It brings the violence home to us. Not far off, very near. This past Christmas Eve, a 14-year-old boy was very angry at his 15-year-old brother because he believed his mother had spent more money on Christmas gifts for the 15-year-old than on the 14-year-old. At home on Christmas Eve, his older sister, who was 23 years old with a small baby, reprimanded him for his anger. And the 14-year-old boy picked up a gun and killed his sister. The 15-year-old boy picked up a separate gun and shot his brother in the stomach. Days before that, a mother in North Carolina beat her three-year-old son to death. In Maryland, the same week, a father shot his two-year-old son before shooting himself. Around the world today, just around our country, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people, in looking to feel something in their empty souls, they turn to narcotics. They turn to ever more deadly drugs. And this year, like recent years, more than 100,000 Americans will kill themselves by overdosing on those drugs. Violence 
hatred against others, against ourselves. All of these terrible accounts are dwarfed by the murders that gain the least attention in our country. And that's the murder of the youngest and the smallest people, the little children in the wombs of their mothers, who on a daily basis in America alone see 3,000 children murdered. Over the course of a year, more than one million children will be murdered. So many. Who can comprehend this number, really? Who can bear witness to each of these little ones? 51 years ago tomorrow, on the 22nd of January, 1973, the United States Supreme Court legalized the murder of children. A year and a half ago, that law was overturned, so to speak. The right to kill children was turned over to the states. And many thought that by turning it over to the states, the, the switch would be turned off. Children would live. Laws would be made that honored God. And 18 months later, more children were killed in 2023 than were killed in 2021 when the law was still on the books. 51 years of murder and slaughter. How do we put these numbers into our minds that a way that we can comprehend. There's about 33,000 Orthodox Presbyterian church members around the United States and Canada. A little over 300 churches. Every 11 days in the United States, a number of children equal to the whole population of the OPC is murdered. Every 11 days. By February 1st, another 33,000, and on and on it goes, because violence has taken over the nation, and violence has taken over the world, and people are rising up against each other in warfare. Mothers are rising against their children, fathers against their children, brother against brother, parents against children, and children against parents. How did this happen? How did we get to this place? The foundation of it all came in Genesis chapter 3, didn't it? Where there Adam and Eve were in that garden in perfect bliss and joy, no sin. God had made it for them. He gave them one commandment. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we read in Genesis 3 and verse 6. The devil tempted Eve. She gave the fruit to Adam. Adam ate the fruit and sinned against God. The first man and first woman on earth in the first sin, they did violence to God and violence to his word. They rejected him and embraced the lies of Satan. They transgressed his law. They sinned against the holy, living, and true God. The very next sin we learn of in recorded history is the one we just read of in Genesis 4 and verse 8, when Cain does violence to the image bearer of God, when he kills and murders his own flesh and blood, his younger brother, 
Abel. Violence comes with sin. Sin is violence against God and against his word. Cain was one who God gave great skill in tilling the ground. He was a farmer. Abel was one who was a shepherd. He cared for the sheep and the animals, and both made offerings before the Lord. Cain of the fruit of the ground, Abel of the sheep that God gave him. And God had respect to Abel's offering and not to Cain's offering. And we learn why almost immediately, because when that happens, Cain is furious with Abel, his brother. He doesn't go to the Lord and ask why. He turns in anger and rage against his own flesh and blood. And yet, God in his kindness and mercy went to Cain. He went to him before he killed his brother. And he came even as we sing in that hymn at Christmas time, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. There's a line in there that says exactly what God did. Oh, that warning cry, obey. God came to Cain, warning him, don't do it, Cain. Sin is knocking at the door. Run away from it. God didn't institute the sixth commandment after Cain murdered his brother. The commandment was already there. And before Cain murdered his brother, God went to him. Don't let it rule over you. Don't sin. You must rule over the temptation. Keep it as far away from you as you can. It lies in wait. It wants you today. Resist it. How many have shared this experience or could testify to this experience of their feelings as they come into conflict with someone and their soul is stirred up inside with hatred? How often, maybe children have done this more often than adults, but I'm sure adults think it, saying something like, I hate you. I wish you were dead. I want to kill them. This is not unique to the world, but it exists in the church as well. And tonight, by God's grace, we will consider temptation and its defeat and resistance. But today, we look at God calling out to Cain, warning him. Warning him. Cain did not listen. He rose up against his brother, and while they talked, he murdered his brother Abel in the field. God gives his word and his law today for many reasons. One of those reasons is to warn us, to warn us of sin, that we would not go into it. He has established his church for many reasons But one of those reasons is to be a salt and a light in the world. To warn them of wickedness and sin and judgment that is surely coming. Is the church being that salt and that light today? Is it warning a nation and a people that grows more and more sinful and transgresses God's word and and afflicts his image more and more? Is the church warning? God warned. Even when Abel would not listen. He rose up and he murdered his brother, and immediately in verse 9, which is where we focus our text today, God asked this penetrating question of Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Where is he? Why does Abel matter 
Why did God ask about his brother? There's several reasons. God asked for Abel first because God made Abel. God is the creator of Abel. He made him in his image. He was an image bearer of God. Genesis 1.27 tells us God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God asks Cain where his brother Abel is because Abel was created by God and God cares about his creation. But God does further than that or more than that. He asks for Abel because specifically Abel is in the very image of God. God, when he created him, he made him in this unique way. He gave to man a living soul. Nothing like that is given to animals. Nothing like that is given to the ground. It is mankind alone that is given a living soul. Unlike the beasts of the field. Unlike the waters of the sea. Set apart from the rest of creation. Created with knowledge, righteousness, holiness, dominion over the creatures. God made Abel in his own image. And he asks for Abel because his image bears missing. Where is Abel, your brother? But there's a third reason God asks for Abel. That's because Abel wasn't like any other creature or most other creatures. Abel was a child of God, an elect child of God. Hebrews 11 verse 4 tells us, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. This was righteous Abel. God said death cannot separate us from the love of God. Abel was murdered, but he was not separated from the love of God, his creator. God asks for his child. Where is Abel your brother? But there's more. God asks for Abel because human life is precious in the sight of God. Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. He looks down and beholds all the creatures and all their actions. And he hates murder. He etched it forever in those two tablets of stone. And it's written in his word, thou shalt not kill He writes of it in almost every book of the Bible. Life is precious in the eyes of God. He hates the hands that shed innocent blood to demonstrate the sanctity of life, to demonstrate the value of life in the eyes of God. He asks Cain, where is Abel, your brother? But there is a fifth reason as well. He's searching the heart of Cain. He's searching the heart of the murderer with this question. How will Cain respond when the king of kings and the creator God asks for the one that he has killed? God searches our hearts with his word, doesn't he? God gives us his word that he might see how we will respond to it. Yes, he knows all things and he tries the hearts of men. He never tempts them, but he does try them. Will Cain fall down before the Lord in repentance and humility, pleading with God for forgiveness? Will we humble ourselves before God 
at the harm that we've done to our neighbor. God searches the heart of Cain. A question should come to us perhaps at this point, who are our brothers? Who are our neighbors? In fact, that very question was asked, wasn't it? In the account of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, there was the, uh, the Pharisee or the Levite who asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I'm to love my neighbor as myself. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives that account of that, that wounded man on the side of the street who had been beaten by robbers. And here comes the Levite and he, he gets out of there. He crosses the street to get away. Here comes the priest. He gets out of there. He crosses the street to come away. And then here comes the Samaritan. And he sees the wounded man and he has pity on him. And he cares for his wounds. He brings him to a place of care, a hotel, a clinic, something like that. And not only does he bind up his wounds, but he pays money in advance so that the innkeeper can continue caring for this wounded man until he's whole. And Jesus said, who is the neighbor? The one that showed mercy is the answer. Where are our brothers today? Where are our neighbors? At 51 years of abortion in this country, 66 million of our neighbors have died. Their innocent blood has been shed. And the Lord asks us today, where is Abel, your brother? Well, Cain responded not in the way that perhaps we'd hope someone would respond after this grievous sin. That wicked Cain who was of his father, the devil, he responds to God, I do not know. What an answer. To God who came to him before him sin. To God who came to him after his sin, he says to that God, I do not know. Was he simply trying to lie to God or was he deceiving himself as well? I cannot answer. In either case, he is a liar. Following the father of lies, he lies to the God who made him. Am I my brother's keeper? Any type of test and he failed it. Oh, doesn't the world do this? It tells itself lies. There was that hymn about, not hymn, song, about sweet, sweet lies. Doesn't the world tell itself sweet, sweet lies as it goes about sinning and committing abominations in the sight of God and all the while deceiving itself, saying sweet things to itself like, these aren't people. These aren't children. They don't matter. Whatever the case might be, people are lying to themselves and they're trying to lie to God, and they tell themselves, even as we're told in the 10th Psalm, they tell themselves, God doesn't know what I've done. God doesn't see what I've done. God doesn't care about what I've done. He's got too much other things to do, managing the whole earth. He doesn't care about my sin. God says he does know. God says he does care. God says he does hear the cries of the innocent and the thoughts and intentions even of the mind that is set to sin against him. And so the church must be a salt and a light and open its mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy as Proverbs 31 tells us. Cain was a liar. Let us be truthful. We know what's happening. We know what we are doing. May we humble ourselves before the Lord 
and not cover our sins. Well, God hears Cain's lies and he asks this question. And if you remember three questions besides the sermon title today, here's the first. Here's the sermon title, Where is Abel Your Brother? But here's the first question you need to remember underneath that. What have you done? From verse 10 of Genesis chapter 4. Here are the piercing words of the holy, holy, holy God. He says to Cain, who's just lied to him, he says, I know to the unbeliever, and I pray no unbelievers are here today, but maybe there are. God says, I know your sin. You cannot hide it from me. I know it all what you've done. And here is the question of God, what have you done? He knows first because he is omniscient God. If he did not know, he would not be much of a God, would he? What kind of God does not see and know things? Only idols that can't speak, that can't walk, that can't think. But God sees, God knows, God speaks, God is omniscient. He knows all things. But he knows for another reason that we see in this text. He knows what Cain did because Abel is not silent. Look at the end of verse 10. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel's blood is speaking. Abel is talking to God from the ground. His blood is crying out to God. And what is it crying out? He did it. Avenge me, Lord. My blood has been shed by this murder. Have vengeance on me, O God. Those whom we've harmed, those whom we've sinned against, do not our sins even cry out to God? Does not the voice of the oppressed rise up to its maker? Does not God see and behold the sorrows and the tribulation and the, the sin that's been committed against his people, his creation? Doesn't he hear it? In Genesis 18 and verse 21, the Lord tells us that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah cried out against it to God. Sin crying out against the committers of sin to the Lord. Or Exodus 3 and verse 9, the cry of the children of Israel has come up to the ears of God. He heard their cries. And how long were they under oppression and slavery and bondage? Four hundred years. But all the time they cried out to God and he heard it. But he had a plan, didn't he? Because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. He told to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. God hasn't answered the request yet of his church and his people for 51 years of murder, legalized murder in this country. Does God not hear? Does he not hear the cry of the blood of the children going up to heaven? He waited 400 years for the Israelites. I pray to God he doesn't wait one more year. Doesn't God hear the cry against the many officials? Doesn't he hear the cry of many of those that turn their ear and turn a blind eye to the things that are happening right around them? God hears it. Vengeance is calling up to God. Avenge me, God. What have you done? What have you done, Cain? Well, I ask this question then today. Are you concerned about these things? 
Is your heart troubled by these thoughts this morning? My heart's very troubled by these thoughts. The sins and the violence that's all around us and the propensity to sin that I still have as I wrestle with the old man. But how many laugh at such warnings? How many do we plead with in our own households? How many do we plead with at work and in our own families and neighbors? And what happens? They laugh and they mock. You remember Lot's son-in-laws in Sodom and Gomorrah. He warned them that destruction was coming, come out, and they, they laughed at him as if he was joking. Today, the world laughs and mocks at the church. It laughs at the word of God. It calls murder a reproductive right. It argues for freedom when it means the right to kill. Mothers and fathers and doctors are voluntarily and willfully committing murder, homicide, and lawmakers have yet to recognize it as a crime. Our fellow image bearers and neighbors are being led to the slaughter and few will lift a finger to ask what God asks, what have you done? Some will hear the warning cry and turn to Christ. And it's my desire as an elder and in front of the face of God that every person that hears the word would believe and not perish. We should have no desire for any murderer to die and go to hell. It brings no joy to the Lord when the wicked perish. God forbid that it brings joy to us. We desire all to come to faith. So we must plead for those that are perishing. We must proclaim the word to those that are dying in their sin that they might hear, repent and believe while there is time. God has shown us in his word, in our own experience, what the situation is. In the world, it's only death, sorrow, sin, loss. But even in the visible church, the situation is not as rosy as perhaps we're sometimes tempted to think. I would draw your attention to the 25th chapter of Matthew, where for those opening 13 verses of that chapter, Jesus brings this tremendous parable and picture of the kingdom in this way, the kingdom of God is like unto ten virgins. But only five were wise. The other five in the visible kingdom of God were foolish. I hope that's not a distribution in every church. But half in that parable were wise and half were foolish. And day after day and week after week in that kingdom of God where those ten virgins were, the warning cry went out. Even as it goes out today, the call of the gospel comes here and in many faithful churches around this city and this state and even the globe. But how many will listen? Most will go their way thanking the minister on the way home. No change taking place. No resistance of the devil. They'll repent and believe another day. Many of you have been out in Atlanta looking at what happens at these abortion clinics. Maybe over half of you have been there. And some of you have seen what the guards do as they hear the word. They laugh. They mock. Some point up to the sky and they say, where is he of whom you speak? He's not coming back. Everything will continue as it's always been. But the day of salvation 
is coming to a close. The hour of God's grace and mercy is drawing near to an end. The day and the hour of the gospel will sometime at some point be turned off. When the Lord returns, there will no more be the cry to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day is nearer than when we first believed. And it draws nearer each and every day. The offer will end. The trumpet blast of the gospel of grace will cease. The cry, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins shall be washed away in his blood. That will stop. The trumpet will sound. A shout will go out at midnight. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And those that are prepared to meet the bridegroom, and only those prepared to meet the bridegroom, will enter into the joys and the glory of heaven. When they will go in, and the doors will be shut. No more may enter. But think about those on the outside. In the parable of the ten virgins, they go to the door saying, let us in, let us in. The Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. Surely at that time when the trumpet sounds and all the dead are raised, those that did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll look to the door in heaven that was shut and they'll say, now we'll stop murdering. Now we will listen. Now we want the oil to fill our lamps. But the Lord will say, depart from me. And they will be gathered up like those tares and thrown into the fiery furnace of hell where there is only weeping and gnashing of teeth. And at that day, the second question that you need to remember will come to their minds because as they are feeling the heat of the fires coming closer to them, they will look up and they'll behold heaven and they'll say, what have I done? What have I done? That I didn't listen. What have I done? That I did not adhere to the call of the gospel. They won't be pleading for Christ. They won't be confessing his name. But they surely will be regretting the sin they have done. Abel's blood cries out vengeance, justice. But it's not the blood of Abel that I wish to close with today. Praise God the sermon doesn't end there. There's another blood that speaks. Abel's blood is speaking. The blood of the innocent is crying up to God. But there is yet another blood, and I want you to see that as it was read this morning from Hebrews chapter 12 and the 24th verse. When the church is brought up into the glorious courts of heaven to worship God, we're told that we're brought to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. There was another man who was innocent, more innocent than Abel, the Lord Jesus. He was promised way back in Genesis 3 before Cain even killed his brother. In the fullness of time, he came into the world. He spoke to his brethren in the fields. 
He spoke to them in the mountains and in the plains and in the synagogues and in the cities and in the gardens and in the houses. He spoke to him. He told them the gospel. He called them all to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God was manifested in the flesh. He warned them of their proclivity to murder. Which of the prophets haven't you murdered? And he told them of the way of life. In fact, he is the way of life. But they went about to kill him anyway. He warned them. He pled with them. He told them how they could be saved. And they pierced his feet. And they nailed his hands to a tree. And they took a crown of thorns and they pressed it into his head where all that blood is. So that blood was dripping down from his head, his hands, and his feet. And they carried him out from Pilate's courtyard. So there would have been a trail of blood from Jerusalem all the way up to Calvary's hill. Where they planted that cross in the ground. Where Jesus bled, suffocated, and died. And he gave up the ghost and it was finished. But that Jesus did not stay under the power of death. But on the third day, he who died rose from the dead. He who laid down his life, he took it up again. And the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed, that blood speaks. And it speaks much better things than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries out vengeance. The blood of Jesus cries out mercy, forgiveness, salvation through the blood that was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And there was a blood shed for the remission of sins. Only one man's blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was shed. The wrath of God was coming down upon murderers like me. And into the gap, Jesus, the Son of God, ran as it were. And he stood in the gap as he hung on the cross. And the wrath of God beat down on him. And he died for my sins. The blood satisfied. And now as God looks down upon sinners who have been washed in that blood, the blood of Jesus cries out for them and says, This one is mine. My grace is sufficient. My blood is sufficient. It's washed away the sins of my children. Yes, there was vengeance crying out. I've satisfied the vengeance with my own blood. There is still yet, brothers and sisters, friends, a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And there sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. Have you plunged into the fountain of life? Have you been washed by the blood of Christ? Some here today are coming from different churches and different backgrounds and maybe even some different religions. God knows you. God knows what you have done. He knows what I've done. Nothing is hidden from him. And yet his blood in mercy was poured out for sinners. Not for every person, but for his children so you must be born again of God and of his spirit in order to have this life and be made a child of God. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow the Lord.
Are you a child of God? I know you're in church today, but are you a child of God? Children of God can be recognized in this way. They hear the word of God, and they do it. They come face to face with sin as it comes to them in the word, and they, they repent of it. They see Christ crucified by faith in his, in his word, and they trust in him alone for salvation. Children of God hate and forsake sin because it's displeasing to God. Children of God are asked, Abel, are asked, where is Abel, your brother? And they come to Christ pleading for forgiveness and cleansing for the sins that they have done. Whose blood pleads for you today? Does the blood of Abel plead to God for vengeance against you? Or does the blood of Christ plead mercy for you? God calls our nation, our, our church, God calls you, me, to repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. He calls us to run to the living water that is Christ. He tells us to eat of the bread of life that is the Lord Jesus. He tells us to watch over ourselves to love the brethren, as we read in 1 John chapter 3. Here is how they'll know you, Christian. You love the brethren. You're not hateful to your children and your loved ones. You're not given to violence. Violence is the way of the world, not the way of the Christian. There's no such thing as a homosexual Christian. Likewise, there's no such thing as an angry, hateful Christian. Both things are an abomination in the sight of the Lord. They have no place with the word Christian. Does that mean Christians won't be tempted to those things? Of course not. But they churn from them. No identity in anger and wrath and hatred. The Christian is one who loves his brother. Do you love your brother? The Christian is one who warns others of that judgment that is drawing near. Go, was the Lord's cry. Go into all nations. Tell them the truth that there is light and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Christian is one who speaks for the perishing and the innocent, even as we confessed in the Sixth Commandment from the larger catechism, standing up for those that are innocent is part of the Sixth Commandment. Perhaps this is for family members who are harming their little children. I've been an elder for about 10 years. I've been shocked by several things, one of which is the violence physically that is manifested in homes of people that profess themselves to be Christians. God knows that violence. And it's nothing to do with Christianity and everything to do with following the devil. If that's a situation that you know of, tell the people, repent, turn from it unto the Lord. Pray for them. Plead with them. Jesus is able to save. Ask him. Then I want you to come back with me at the close to that trumpet sound that we spoke of a few minutes ago. When the dead are rising from the ocean, from the ashes, from the ground, and Jesus Christ is descending and all the host of heaven with him. And there the Christian is with the unchristian. The one, those that are in Christ, are put on the right, 
The wheat are gathered into his barn as the tares are going off to be burnt. And the Lord at that great day brings the Christian into his marriage supper, seated at his table, and there he is at the head of this great company, the many sons that are brought into glory. And what is it that the Christian will say at that great day? But will he not, will she not, behold Jesus Christ face to face and ask this third question? Behold, what has he done? Because he has saved me from my sins and washed me in his blood, that blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. I know nothing else to give to you than this Christ who saves sinners today. Trust in him, beloved. He is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him, and he does save to the uttermost all who come to him. Take hold of him by faith. Follow him in his word. Flee from sin. And then you, you will not be among those who cry out in that day, what have I done? But will be those on the right hand of the Lord who say, what has he done for me? Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, our mouths are almost speechless this morning as we behold the wonder, love, and grace of our Savior who took murderers like us and made us to be children of the Most High God and heirs with Jesus Christ, recipients of eternal life. We give you thanks. And we ask this morning that you would Cause all who have not trusted in the Lord to this day flee to the fountain where sinners plunge beneath the blood of Christ, lose all their guilty stains. Save now, we beseech thee, O Lord. Send now prosperity. Blessed be the Lord our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.